Let me invite you to stand and turn to James chapter 3 in your copy of God's Word. James chapter 3, and we're in verses 13 through 18 this morning. And really, James has a lot of similarities with the Proverbs and with the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which is in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. You see his focus on wisdom coming across here, which likens the book of James to Proverbs. And you'll see the importance of wisdom, and we'll talk about how we recognize wisdom and how God manifests that in our life. And so follow along with me now as I read James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you would guide us and your spirit would guide us in all truth, that we together as a community would rightly reflect your wisdom. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. A couple of years ago, Tracy and I had the opportunity to visit Alaska. Wow, the last frontier, visit Alaska. And you know there was a gold rush in Alaska, so one of the things you want to do in Alaska is do a little gold panning and kind of explore that. And that was at the, uh, end, of the ninth, end of the 1800s when the gold rush was. And so we signed up to do some gold panning, signed up to do some gold panning, and we go to the place, and it's kind of like a Disney set. They had these old uh, mining sluices and other equipment that was sort of out in the yard of the place, and everyone was dressed up in period costume and looked like pioneers, sort of the way they were dressed, and, and it, was a, it was a fun deal, entertaining deal, and, and so we go to Pan for Gold, and they give us a lecture on the technique, the technique for, and the lecture has taken a little while, <laughs> even for a pastor who's, you, you know, it's taken a while, and I look over at Tracy, and I'm, I, I tell her, what are we spending all this time on this technique for how to pan for gold? And so they finished the lecture, and we commenced to go over to these troughs, which had dirt and water in them, and we start panning for gold, and I'm doing my best, you know, pan for gold thing, and you take the little flecks of gold, and you put them in a, like a 35-millimeter canister of, uh, you know, and they, and they weigh it at the end, and so we go 
we go, we get in line, they're going to weigh our gold. And I ask the lady, I say, so what is this? You know, did you all spray paint some flecks of lead? Or what did you, what did you do for the gold? No, it was real gold. I won Dumb Tourist of the Year in Alaska, and that's actually hard to do, a lot of tourists. <laughs> I did not recognize that we were actually panning for real gold. Oh, it was on. I would have tried to pan my, my entry feedback had I known. I would have paid attention to that lecture had I recognized this was not gold. Oh, it was real gold. And the thing was, I didn't take in from what I was seeing and experiencing that this was for real. Gold was selling at 2,000 an ounce. Oh, it would have been on had I realized what Tracy knew, that this wasn't gold. It was real gold. And I give you that example really to show you know, when it comes to wisdom, we can ask the question, why are people so dense? You know, what was it about that that made me so dense? What is it with the rarity of wisdom that's displayed all around us and in our society? Think about for a moment and ask yourself this question, why do we give such large bandwidths and amount of time to people in our lives that are foolish? Why do we pay such careful attention to the well-known fools in our life and culture? And this morning, I want you to think about what you know to be true and how we live and really understand wisdom and how to recognize it. In that moment, I didn't recognize, oh, this is real gold, this is on. I want you to be able to recognize wisdom, and James writes to that effect here because he is interested that the early church that he's writing to would be able to recognize wisdom and be guided and exhibit that wisdom in their lives. We all have moments where we miss wisdom, and James helps us here by helping to recognize and identify it. Well, first, we're going to talk about how we know wisdom by good conduct. This is in verse 13. James asks a great question, and he asks questions like this to begin different sections. It's not the first time he, he asks a question like this. We see it in chapter 2, verse 14 as well. But verse 13 of chapter 3, he asks, who is wise and understanding among you? How do we know the wise? And he answers it. Verse 13, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Well, we're talking a lot about wisdom, and what James is saying here is that you recognize wisdom by the conduct of a person, not by what they say, not what, by what they claim to believe or affirm. No, you recognize wisdom by how they live, by their good conduct. And wisdom, we defined it this way, and it's not the first time we encounter wisdom in James. If you turn back 
to James chapter 1, verse 2. We read there, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And we talked about the challenges, and you can listen online to this sermon. We talked about the challenges you face when you're in the midst of a trial and it is painful. We don't think clearly. We don't think objectively. We can be in the grips of whatever trial that we're in, and it yields foolish thinking. So what is James, what's the solution for that? Well, it's in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. And so we should know if we lack wisdom, that we can ask God and he will answer that and give us the wisdom that we need. Now, let's for a moment ask ourselves, well, what is wisdom? What is wisdom? Let's define our terms. Well, wisdom and this is the definition I used when I preached back in uh, James chapter 1, still a good definition, I think, is that wisdom is our capacity to understand our situation from a biblical perspective and respond in God-glorifying ways. And even though I talk slow, I'll give it to you again. Wisdom is our capacity to understand our situation from a biblical perspective. So it's to bring truth to bear, that biblical perspective on our circumstances and situation, and then to respond, to do, that's the good conduct, back in James chapter 3, verse 13, the good conduct to respond in God-glorifying ways, because our purpose is what? Man's chief end. Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And so wisdom is understanding our situation from a biblical perspective. How does God see our circumstances? The capacity to understand that and then to act in ways that glorify God. So wisdom has biblical action. It is knowledge applied. Biblical action is part of wisdom. And we see that action In verse 13, the good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And for James, the litmus test of things is always how you're living, the works. Remember uh, one of the larger sections we looked at, chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, and one of the themes in James is really how faith and works relate to each other, and works emanate, flow from true faith. And true faith always exhibits itself in the good works that we do. And so, likewise, wisdom is exhibited by the works, the choices we make, how we live, how we act and behave. And notice here at the end of verse 13, in the meekness of wisdom... And meekness here, a good way to understand it is humble gentleness. And gentleness, of course, a fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5.23. And so there's a manifestation of this good conduct that is in humble gentleness as we interact with others and as we live our lives and live out this calling. And I used to think gentleness was not really a good thing. And actually, the ancient Romans did too. They thought uh, gentleness was not a good quality. And when I 
before I went to seminary, I was involved in a parachurch organization. And you know, parachurch organizations are a alphabet soup of theological persuasions within Christianity. And the, that's putting it nicely, and the particular theological persuasion that I had, uh, which we would say is the Reformed faith, was really in the minority in the midst of this uh, parachurch organization where we were sharing the gospel with students and discipling them. And, and I, w- I was very much in the minority of how we read the Bible and theology. And I thought... I mistakenly thought that I needed to convince everybody of my opinion and that this was a contact sport, actually. (laughs) And so I was frequently involved in debates, not over salvation. We're way down the stream from that in the particularities of interpreting different scriptures. And so I was bludgeoning people, as it were, with the truth. And fortunately, my supervisor took me aside one day, and he took me to Romans chapter 2-4. Romans chapter 2-4. And he read this to me. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? It is God's kindness which leads us to repentance. Think about that for a moment as we evaluate who we listen to and the tone that they use and when they communicate biblical truth. The kindness of God leads us to repentance. Perhaps that's why evangelism has fallen on hard times, so to speak. The kindness of God leads us to repentance. And and Paul's utilization of that word kindness really points back to an ancient Hebrew term that means loving kindness, his steadfast love, that God sticks with sinners, so to speak, and is faithful to redeem. And my question to you is, do we manifest that through the wisdom that we have? Is that how we're living, that we would not just have the truth, because certainly that's not enough, we would have the love as well, the kindness of God that leads to repentance. I'm so thankful, and I still remember some 30 years later, this um, supervisor of mine setting me straight, setting me straight. Great to have the truth, but God calls us to more than that. Have the truth and communicate His kindness, grace, love. That is the gentleness that comes from wisdom, the meekness of wisdom, this humility to recognize that people need not just the truth, but also the kindness of God that leads to repentance. And it's not a balance. It's not like we're halfway truthful and then, oh, it's on, on the other. It's it's not that at all. It's both together. Think of where Paul writes, speaking the truth, how? In love, in love. And so we're called to manifest this kindness of God through our wisdom by good conduct that could be described as the meekness 
that humble gentleness of wisdom. And so, this is part of how you know wisdom. How do you know wisdom? Well, it's this good conduct, and that good conduct has, has the flavor, so to speak, of this gentleness and this mercy and kindness and love within it. You also can recognize wisdom by what it's not. This is, now James takes us into the negative here in verses 14 through 16. He shows us you can recognize wisdom by what it is not, and we get a little bit of a vice list here, and I'll unpack a few of these terms, but look with me in verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. In the bitter jealousy there, bitterness is this resentfulness. And that resentfulness is paired with jealousy, which is more than just envy. The biblical idea of jealousy is this unhealthy obsession. It can be an unhealthy obsession. It can be idolatry. And what we have here, instead of good conduct, we have a contrast. Verse 14, those who are foolish, which is the opposite of wisdom, have a resentful obsession to defend their idols. And they have selfish ambition, verse 14. And this selfish ambition is a concern only for themselves. They never ask the question, hmm, how do other people experience me? They never ask that question. They are only out for their own good, for their own good or their own family's good. That's what selfish ambition is. You're never concerned about someone else and their experience of you or benefiting and bettering other people. And notice here at the end of verse 14, it's in your hearts. This is the deepest part of who we are, and it's very difficult to unseat that. It's a spiritual problem that needs a spiritual solution. Deep in their hearts, and then do not boast and be false to the truth. This is an interesting phrase at the end of verse 14. It's sort of translated awkwardly here, to be false to the truth. But what it is, it means there is a truth, but then they are literally lying against that truth. So the truth is evident and it's known, and they are still lying. And that is evidence of foolishness. Anytime someone comes out and denies what is plain to see that it is true, that is foolishness. They are lying against the truth, or as James writes here, false to the truth, and then James writes, this is not with the wisdom that comes down from above. Uh-oh. Look at the second half, verse 15. It is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. This is how he describes that a type of wisdom, which is really foolishness, has an earthly origin, not a heavenly one. Remember our definition of wisdom is to, the capacity to understand our situation from a biblical perspective. But this, earth, this is earthly and unspiritual. To be biblical is heavenly oriented and spiritual. And then notice here the last word in verse 15, demonic. It comes from the other place. And then he 
diagnosis here, verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Wherever wisdom is lacking, there is chaos. It may be chaos in a person's life. It may be chaos in their views. They're always switching and changing. One minute it's this, the next minute things have changed. It is very unstable. It's chaotic. There's a push-pull to this relationship. And notice here, every vile practice, and usually we use the word vile to mean immoral or morally corrupt, but the meaning here of vile practice is closer to vanity or closer to useless. It doesn't work. This kind of wisdom doesn't produce fruit, as we'll get to in verse 18. It doesn't work in the sense that if we go back to chapter 2, verse 20, chapter 2, verse 20 uses the same word at the very end there. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And so this vile practice is vain, useless, unhelpful, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so James gives us the ways that we would identify wisdom by recognizing what it isn't, what it isn't. On October 17th, we heard in the news that a, there was an explosion outside of the Al-Ahli Baptist Hospital there in Gaza. Do you remember this? There's a very nice, was a very nice hospital there in Gaza, and people had sought shelter close to the hospital and were camping out in the parking lot, and news agencies reported a mass casualty incident. There was an explosion there in the parking lot. And of course, large, large um, uh, news organizations, prominent news organizations, and I'm not going to name one of them, but I'll use the initials, CNN. <laughs> I borrowed that joke. And then uh, the New York Times, they immediately printed straight from Hamas's uh, representatives that this was an act of the Israeli Defense Force. Do you remember this happening? And unfortunately, between one and 300 people died. They don't know how many people died. And so prominent news organizations released that Israel had dropped a bomb, essentially, on these civilians who were seeking shelter. And do you know what happened next? They started an investigation. Started an investigation. And they found that the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, another terrorist organization at work in Gaza, had shot a rocket towards Israel. The rocket malfunctioned, landed in the parking lot. And yet, and some retractions were reprinted, but I want to offer you this, damage already done. Damage already done, and this is really what lit the fuse for a wider conflict uh, in other regions of the Arab world and the Islamic world as they took this news as truth and immediately began to act on it. 
Now, if prominent news organizations fall for this, we need to, in wisdom, evaluate what we are taking in. One example, uh, this is just one example of the propagation of falsehood in the media and foolishness and not citing sources in printing something as truth that doesn't have any evidence. And it's the better part of wisdom for those who consume this news to evaluate it based on evidence, based on what evidence there is. And my point in telling you this, obviously it's an election year, and we, the more media you consume, the more you must use wisdom in that which you read, but as well, it is worth evaluating the place you give in your life to listening to and being influenced by those who do not have a biblical uh, Christian worldview. Do you follow me? In other words, the question can be asked, why am I, as a Christian, who believes that God's Word is inerrant and inspired and salvation is only found in Christ, and that the Bible speaks most fully and truthfully into the nature of who people are and what our problem is, why would I then turn all that off, as it were, close this book, turn on my TV, and open my mind to whatever is before me. We must interact in this world with wisdom, given that we understand and believe that people's greatest problem is their sin problem. And if we give way in our life, and I'm not saying don't be informed or don't know what's going on in the world, although I will offer you this, the more news you consume... I will ask you, are you really informed? Or are you disinformed because your Christian world and life view, how you see and perceive the world, is not influenced enough by the prominence of the truth of God's Word versus what others say? And so, know wisdom by what it is not. Use wisdom, discernment is another way we could understand that, as you interact with news and media in the world. So we know wisdom by good conduct, we've covered what wisdom isn't, and, and then in verses 17 and 18, we know wisdom by what it is. So this is the positive. Verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Just turn, next time you turn on the news or you go online, just sort of say, okay, I'm looking for what's pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere. And look for those things. Seek those things. Now, a couple terms that are uh, worthy to note here are the utilization of gentleness there in verse 17 again, which relates back to verse 13, the meekness of wisdom, and then open to reason. What a good phrase. 
What a good phrase, because sometimes we will interact with people and, you know, hopefully not to their face, we'll just say, mm, you can't tell them anything. Have you ever said that about someone? Or maybe has someone ever said that about you? Open to reason. What does that mean? That means when you present the truth to me, I'm convincible. That means I don't just communicate a decision. Have you had somebody communicate a decision to you? A decision that doesn't line up with Scripture before? They're not open to reason. They're telling you what they're going to do. And try though you might. They're not open to reason. And wisdom is characterized by being open to reason. When you bring that truth, when you bring that evidence, someone may change their mind. And then full of mercy as that reflects the very character of God. And you can go back to chapter 2, verse 13. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Impartial is part of what we talked about at the beginning of chapter 2. Remember the sin of impartiality, or the, the sin of partiality, and the reason why the sin of partiality is condemned is it strikes at the community that's needed to be formed uh, within the church. And partiality also runs counter to the gospel because God is not partial uh, to us. Uh, as he presents Christ to us. And then verse uh, 17, impartial, that's the impartial, and then sincere. And sometimes we think sincerity is sort of, well, you know, bless their hearts kind of thing. But sincerity is really, it's truth and integrity together. Truth and integrity together, and that's one of the ways we know wisdom is active. And what's the result? There's a beautiful result here in verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. In other words, this wisdom produces something. The good conduct based on wisdom produces something. It produces a harvest of righteousness that is sown in peace by those who make peace. And then next week when we get into chapter 4, we'll look at the opposite. We'll look at the quarrels and the fights that happen. And these are the result oftentimes of foolishness. You know, with spring being here, it's important to know your snakes. And no doubt, as the snakes come out, I'm not making a theological statement, I'm talking about outside there, as the snakes come out, people take photos of them and they put them online. What kind of snake is this? And somebody says, oh, you know, it's a, it's a rat snake. It's harmless to humans. And they reply, well, it's dead anyway. <laughs> and, you know, it's important to know your snakes because snakes have an important ecological function around your house and around your property. I didn't say mine, your. And of course, one of the snakes we kind of get confused over is the king snake and the coral snake. The king snake and the coral snake. And, you know, there's that rhyme, red next to yellow, bite a fellow. And I forget what the other one is. Uh, red next to black, friend of Jack, I think it is. And that's how you know. You know king snake, harmless, 
Coral snake, red next to yellow. The snakes look alike, but it's important to differentiate between them. And certainly we know that this is what God has called us to. He's called us to exercise wisdom that we might exhibit good conduct in all that we do, reflecting He who came to this earth and exhibited perfect wisdom. I mean, think about Jesus for a moment. Why did He attract crowds? It was His power, yes, but it it was because He had the truth and He had the love brought together perfectly. Jesus, the embodiment of God's wisdom here on this earth. And James calls believers, he calls the church to exercise this wisdom, to be able to recognize it in order to build the kind of church community that would give glory to God as we follow and obey Him. Let's pray together. Lord, we indeed ask that you would help us to recognize wisdom, to recognize it in our own life. And where we don't recognize it, we pray we would confess and repent and change. And we pray you would bring us along in your wisdom that we indeed would have conduct becoming of Christians that would showcase the truth of the gospel we would know what wisdom is and what it isn't, and that here at Trinity we would see a harvest of righteousness sown in peace by those who make peace. We pray you would do it by your Spirit's power. In Christ's name, amen.